Welcome to the Proclaim and Defend podcast, a ministry of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. We seek to encourage and inform pastors on modern day topics from a biblical perspective. Our mission is to bring together like-minded Baptists to collaborate in glorifying God through fulfilling the Great Commission. Well, greetings everyone. It's Don Johnson with the Proclaim and Defend podcast. I'm here to introduce our conversation with Mike Riley, one of our regular contributors. We had him on uh, last year for an article he wrote in Frontline, and uh, again, he wrote one for our winter issue, and I um, I discussed it with him a few weeks ago. It's funny, actually, last week I was at a meeting and saw Mike and uh, said, well, we're going to have to get together again because he's written an article for our next edition, and uh, so we'll be hearing from Mike uh, for that one as well. So uh, we are now uh, talking about the edition of Frontline that was called The God of Beauty. Mike's article is The Art of Appreciating Beauty. Mike is mostly talking about educating ourselves about beauty, learning to see what makes things beautiful. And not just learning and education, it's not just an intellectual thing, but Actually, he contends it's a spiritual thing. It's a matter of sanctification. And so our appreciation of beauty is part of our growing like Christ. I think he's got onto something there. It's not, you know, that we are mystics and we are uh, trying to contemplate, you know, the higher ideas. But there are things that God has done in our world to create beauty, and he uses people to... Uh, create beautiful things. And so we need to be able to discern what things are truly beautiful. And of course, fallenness comes into it and uh, distorts beauty. So we need to be able to discern that also, because even in a piece that is otherwise very beautiful, there are can be aspects of sin incorporated into that medium. And so we need some discernment so that we can make wise choices as to how we participate in such things. So I'm going to leave the discussion of all that to my conversation with Mike. But first of all, let me remind you to subscribe to our podcast. Subscribing means you won't miss any episodes. You may not listen to all of them, but at least you'll know that they're there. And then secondly, uh, if you become a paying subscriber, you can read the frontline articles that are a part of the interviews right away. So we think that's a benefit. Uh, if you subscribe on a yearly basis, then you can get the print subscription to the Frontline magazine as well. We can't cover everything that's in each issue through these interviews. Uh, and so there's a little bit extra in there for you if you will subscribe uh, to the print magazine by an annual subscription to our Substack here. Well, and of course, besides that, your gifts help support our ministry with the various chaplaincy programs that we're involved in. And we're very uh, pleased to uh, report uh, or hear of good things that our chaplains are doing around the world uh, in very uh, various ways through the military, through local police chaplains, medical chaplains, and uh, uh, posts like that. We have some wonderful uh, men and women who serve in this way. So I hope that you can uh, support our ministry. We also have our publications ministry, Frontline, and and uh, the Proclaimant Fan Podcast, and the Proclaim and Defend blog. So we really uh, do appreciate your support, uh, your gifts as well. So uh, with that all said, let me now turn 
to our conversation with Mike Riley. So we want to welcome Mike Riley to the Proclaim and Defend podcast. He is the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church of Wakefield, Michigan. He's a regular contributor to Frontline and Proclaim and Defend. He was previously on the podcast talking about the ethics of using stem cell lines. So this is quite a different uh, subject today. Uh, the issue of Frontline is called The God of Beauty, and Mike's article is The Art of Appreciating Beauty. So, uh, Mike, um, how did you get this topic, by the way? I, that's probably a good idea to start there. Um, well, um, uh, when uh, – I'm sorry. I'm trying to – Mark. I, yeah, it was Mark. Sorry. Uh, when when Mark reached out – get confusing. Yes, they do. <laughs> I'll pause so that the edit works well here. Uh, when, when Mark reached out to me, um, and, and putting this, this article together, um, obviously, and, and I think Don, you've done some recordings with some of the other writers as well. Um, some of the other, uh, big kind of theoretical topics had, had already been covered. Um, and so my assignment was a little bit more on the practical side, more on the, um, okay, if all this is true, what what do we do about it? How how do we grow in the skill of appreciating beauty? And so that was the angle I I tried to take in in my column, uh, my my article here. Um, and and as I said in the article itself, it isn't. I I I realized pretty early on as I was thinking about how to write it. That there was no way to write an article, particularly of this length, that having read it, now suddenly you have an appreciation for beauty, right? I, I couldn't write an article that told you now how to appreciate beauty. Um, rather, what I ended up doing is is writing um, some, some uh, pieces of counsel, some pieces of advice for what to do if you want to learn to grow in your appreciation of beauty. Right. So in that we're talking about growth, uh, you tied this uh, strongly to Christian sanctification. So maybe uh, talk about sanctification generally, and then why is appreciating beauty a part of that? Yeah, so I, I would have to back up here again and, and say my article is worthless unless we start with the acceptance that beauty is not in the eye of the beholder, right? And I know there's another... Um, uh, article in this issue that, that makes that case. Um, I've often made that case here at our church, um, by using the example, and this is, you know, one of these heretical hypotheticals, a, a what if, um, yeah. suppose, um, Adam wakes up in the garden for the very first time, um, and, and he looks around, rubs his eyes, right? He's getting his bearings and, and he takes in the garden that God has made and he says, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, 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 and the reason I use that example is if, if we, and I'm not saying this is the, the only way to, to look at man, but I think it's useful. It's a kind of a useful rubric. If, if we think of man as having responsibilities intellectually, right? With his mind, um, Adam has uttered something that's false. God has said this is good. Indeed, it's very good. Right. right. So for Adam to say, it's a dump or it's, yeah. it's, it's ugly. He has said something that's false. He has failed to do his duty intellectually with his mind. Right. Right. Okay. Um, he has also failed in his will. Right. He has failed, um, morally. He has said something he shouldn't say. 
right? So you have mind, you have will. But I think fundamentally, and this is, this I think is the key point, is when Adam says, I don't like the garden, or I think this place is ugly, he has demonstrated that a failure of affections, or, you know, we sometimes use that mind, will, emotions. He has demonstrated, um, in saying he doesn't like it, that he's wrong in what he likes. Right. Mm -hmm. Because God has said this is beautiful. God has said this is good. This is delightful. And if we don't take delight in what God takes delight in, we have not just failed intellectually and morally. We have failed in our appreciation of what is beautiful, what is valuable. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and so this is the building block that has to be in place first. This is why. Um, I believe that the appreciation of beauty, and, and I'll have more to say about that in a moment, is an element of our sanctification, that where I love and, uh, and, uh, and adore and appreciate and value what God doesn't, or I fail to value what God does, I, ha I am out of step with God. My growing in Christ-likeness is, is a matter mentally of affirming what God has said, of volitionally, of submitting my will to the character and will of God, and affectionately loving what God loves. Um, and, and I appeal there to, to, uh, in, in the, in the column, and uh, I've said before, this is, if I had to pick a verse that is sort of, um, the linchpin of my philosophy of ministry, it's there, Paul's prayer in, in, in Philippians 1. Um, this I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. Right. Mm -hmm. So that you would approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Right. Um, that idea that, um, again, just uh, using illustrations here, we're, we're getting to the time of year in which uh, everyone uh, is getting ready to start reading their Bible again. Right. <laughs> um, you know, no, no one no one could start reading their Bible for the next two weeks. But but in two weeks, right. we can start reading our Bibles again. And and, and so, you know, let, let's say someone decides January 1st, I'm going to I'm going to start a Bible reading program. That's a good thing. And their alarm clock goes off on January 1st, you know, 15 minutes early, half hour early. And they grumble, grumble, grumble. They pull themselves out of bed, get their cup of coffee, and they read their Bible. And, and we look at that and we say, hey, I'm glad you got up. Um, it would be better if your attitude were better. But it's, it's better to read with a bad yeah. attitude than to not read at all. But if 25 years from now, they still haven't grown in their love for the Word of God. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. problem. Yeah. And, and so sanctification is not merely a matter of believing the right things and doing the right things. At, in, in some ways, at the most important level, it's about loving mm -hmm. the right things. Right. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good way of putting it. I thought, uh, you know, you're using your hypothetical ex example of, uh, Adam there. There's an actually a, a positive actual example where he wakes up and there's Eve next to him. Yes. And he responds, you know, mind, well, and emotions. And it's all yes. there, right? In that, in that response. Yeah. So absolutely. that's, that's good. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so when we say, uh, this might be getting into the theory of it. We talk, you've, the other guys have talked about this a lot. So when we say some object or action is beautiful or has beauty, what do we mean? 
what does it say about the object's value? I guess you were talking about value in the article, and that's why I went. Yeah, and and, and that's uh, and and that that is a distinction I want to make, right? When the the theory side of this tends to um, uh, orient the entire discussion around beauty, right? right? That that becomes kind of the key word in the discussion, and 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 I I think there's um. Uh, th- there's good in that, but I, I think, uh, especially for a reader who's not deeply involved in the discussion, it can be somewhat misleading because it suggests, uh, beauty suggests a, a, a certain very narrow conception of what we're talking about, right? Aesthetic mm-hmm. appreciation for art or, you know, natural beauty as, you know, uh, particularly visual beauty or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and really we're talking about something much, much broader than that. That there are standards for how we prize things, how we value things. Um, that, and, and, and so it is right for me, for instance, to feel a certain way about my family. Uh, Mm -hmm. it is right for me to feel a certain way about the local church or about someone being converted or about a family being broken up or Mm -hmm. all of these, um, things or events have a suitable response right and and so that's the 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 notion of value um and the standard for it all is always going to be um does god i i don't want to use the term feel because that brings up a a a whole (laughs) theological problem right i i I want to affirm the impassibility of God and the aseity of God. And so God doesn't have feelings like we do. I, I would actually say we have feelings in a finite replication of God's eternal disposition toward things. Um, right. And and so um, when we're what we're asking about is uh, how does God value things? That's the standard, right? That's the standard by which our feelings are to be judged. And and so the question before us, and really what what I'm I'm trying to just just briefly sketch out in the article is, well then then how do I know? How can I find out how God feels about something? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good. That, you're asking the questions. That's a good one. <laughs> How about if you answer it? <laughs> well, it's, so what what I suggest in the in the essay are, are three three ways, uh, three um, uh, uh, pursuits that we can engage in to discern how it is that God feels about something, and and therefore what the standard is for how I should feel about those things. Um, right. And so the first and most fundamental, the most obvious thing is we have to spend time in the word. And mm-hmm. and this is where, um, you know, something I've, I have tried to emphasize maybe over the last decade or so. Uh, I suspect many, most, almost all, everyone who's listening to this podcast um, is is profoundly concerned with their responsibility to read the Bible rightly. Um, that whenever you open the word, we want, you know, we, by this point, it's it's almost cliche and, and that that's something to be rejoiced in, that we don't care what this text means to you. First and fundamentally, we care what this text means. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we give careful attention to hermeneutics and the the, the uh, rules for reading the Bible well and how the Bible interprets itself and all of those issues that we uh, that we go to when we ask, what does this passage mean? But one of the things I've tried to encourage people to look at is when you read any given text in scripture, there is not only a what it says, but there is a how it says. Right. Um, 
And and so uh, an example that I'll use is in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians. I'm sorry. Paul talks about um, how uh, he has suffered and and in the suffering that he has uh, gone through, uh, God has uh, aided and assisted him so that he can bring comfort to others with the comfort right. that he has been given. Right. Yeah, so yeah. so here I am as a pastor. I'm preaching through Second Corinthians. That's my text for the morning. And I have done my exegetical work and I've been very careful with the text to discern exactly what it is Paul means there. And I have this message about how God comforts his people so that we can comfort others. And I deliver that message with all the fire and brimstone that I can muster. I'm yelling about God's comfort for, for 45 minutes. Right? right. And what I want to say is my sermon has been unfaithful to the text. Okay. Right. Even if, and this is, I, I think you can make a lot of connections really quickly once you get this point. Even if every word of my sermon is hermeneutically and theologically accurate, if I deliver a sermon of bombast about the comfort of God, my sermon is unfaithful to the text. It's not unfaithful to the what the text is saying. It's unfaithful to the how the text is saying. Right. 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 And 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 what I want to say is, you know, you'll in this discussion of beauty and, and obviously um, always lurking in the shadows of the discussion of beauty is the whole music debate. Right. Right. And people yeah. will say the Bible doesn't have anything to say about matters of style or matters of uh, how we say these things. I disagree with that, but let's let's concede the point for the sake of argument. Let's say the Bible doesn't say anything about style. The Bible itself, though, has a style. Right. It has a way it communicates. And my obligation as a pastor, my obligation being the pastor as the chief worship leader of the church, is not mm -hmm. only that our church says what the text says, but that we seek to be faithful to how the text says. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you rewind, you know, 10, 15 years when Mark Driscoll was all the rage. Right. Mm -hmm. And and let's say for sake of argument, and, and, and this is a, a, a point we could debate. And I don't want to get into that. But let's say <laughs> for sake of argument that he he was theologically spot on in everything he said. Mm -hmm. Right. So he preaches through the book of Romans and he's faithfully expositing what Paul said. When you exposit Romans in the manner of a stand up comic. Mm -hmm. You're not being faithful to how Paul speaks. Right. And yeah. and that goes not just for epistles. Um, uh, you know, I've used those two examples here, but but the Bible is full of literary writing. Right. right. Um, as, as I say in my column, if if you don't like poetry, God calls you to repent because about a third of your Bible is written in poetry, not just the poetic books, but much of the prophets. Um, yeah. And it comes back again in Revelation. It looks like God really likes poetry and, 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 and even in the eternal state. Um, mm -hmm. And so we are to look at these passages in how uh, God is being portrayed, not just the, the, the substantive content, but the manner in which inspired authors write about God, about God's works, about sin, about judgment, about redemption. And those should um, inform. In fact, those are the standards by which 
right. our speaking on these things is to be right. judged. And we we might, you know, acknowledging that we have a standard doesn't mean we're all going to agree, right? We sit down right. with our Presbyterian brothers, and we have real differences between them, right? And there are good, solid um, faithful, conservative Presbyterians who believe the Bible is the standard, and we would say, and they read it wrong, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. But that's enormously different. Um, I would rather sit down with a, a conservative Presbyterian who upholds the authority of the Bible and its its authority over his theology than to sit down with a liberal Baptist mm -hmm. who denies the authority of Scripture, right. right? And and so on this question of beauty. If we if, if we are willing to affirm that the Bible itself is the standard for how we um, feel about God, at least we have a standard. We might not agree on everything, right? right? It might be an intractable difference where we 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 effectively have a denominational distinction between us and others who say no, a feeling about God is quite different than how you conceive it to be. But at least we have a standard that's so much, that's infinitely preferable to the idea that there's just no standard and it's all all a matter of in the eye of the beholder. Right. Well, one of the things I've uh, I in in preaching and teaching through various books and you know the poetic books, uh, and you mentioned about the poetry. Well, I was uh, so appreciative when I um, uh, first read the New King James Version, and they have it laid out. Uh, in the prophets and in, uh, you know, in those poetical books, of course, in poetry format. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the old, you know, I love the King James, but you know, that addition, yep. all of a sudden I was saying, wait a minute, I interpret this differently. Yeah. It's, it's not exactly what I originally thought it was. And, uh, and then there's another thing, like just, uh, as we learn, you know, figures of speech, I, I teach our people about chiasms. About, yeah. uh, you know, how, how God is using this literary form to, to, uh, communicate a message. And, and sometimes it can bring incredible power to what you're, you're going to say. Just yesterday morning, my wife and I were reading in, uh, Second Corinthians. You mentioned Second Corinthians, but this is in chapter two, uh, verse 15, where it says, for, for we are fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And there, there's actually a little chiasm there. So, sure. So, so, you know, thought, uh, and we remarked on that. And my wife, we got talking and I, uh, I, I, my wife suggested, or maybe I suggested, I can't remember, but are you a stinky Christian is a, a, a title, a sermon title. <laughs> sure. But, but, but you see that the emphasis there, is how how we appear to others and he ties he could have he could have played the parallelism in the second verse exactly the same as the first verse but he inverted it for a reason and yeah. there is a beauty to that well and and it and it's it's not uh merely and I agree with you with what you're saying there it, and it's not merely the the structural forms um but when you think yeah. of poetry itself um so so again I've I've asked our folks often right you, you inject you with truth serum would you yeah. rather have the Bible you have, or would you rather have had God deliver to us uh, an in inspired systematic theology textbook, where where yeah. here you have chapter one, bibliology, chapter two, you know, theology proper, yeah. Um, yeah. and and the reality is, 
um, many of us, and, and, and particularly those of us who are inclined to think doctrinally in, in an important way, um, mm-hmm. truth serum, we'd rather have a systematic theology textbook. Right. Mm-hmm. So so we have this tendency. You read Psalm 23 and you ask, um, what is the proposition? Mm-hmm. OK, the proposition is God faithfully cares for his people. Well, right. you know what? When you go visit someone in the hospital, Don, no one asks mm-hmm. you to summarize Psalm 23. They ask you to <laughs> read it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because the power is not merely in the objective truth statement. It is in the beauty of the poetry. And, and, and one of the things that I, I say in, in, in the, um, article is that poetry often says things that are literally false to communicate things that are, are more deeply true. If, mm-hmm. if your God is actually a rock, you need mm-hmm. to be removed from your position as pastor and disciplined out of your church. Right. right. Yeah. Um, we say God is a rock, but we, God isn't a rock, but God is a rock in a, in a richer sense, right? And so right. poetry is, if we think that the Bible exists merely to give us true propositions that we must believe theologically, we, we will find that the Bible is profoundly inefficient at doing that. It is mm-hmm. full of historical narrative and poetry and, and all of this language that's just, just incredibly inefficient you know, where, mm-hmm. where all of it could have been summarized so, so quickly. Right. I was um, mm-hmm. uh, speaking on this uh, to our church the other day when, when I was at Bob Jones, um, I had a freshman, sophomore year. I was, I was a bit of a Philistine and uh, there was a <laughs> performance of Handel's Messiah. Um, oh, yeah. And I think it was the first time I had sat through a performance of Handel's Messiah. And, and I remember thinking that I was very clever when I was really a, just a, a, a dumb rock. Um, uh, telling people at intermission, you know, this whole thing could be over much more quickly if they would stop repeating themselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that, that's such a, um, cold and, uh, worthless view of aesthetics, right? Mm-hmm. Part of the reason that that music repeats itself is to, is to force us, if we are willing to be carried along by the music, to meditate on these truths. Right. The, the repetition is doing something. It's not just repeating for its own sake. It's yeah. it's meditation. And, yeah. and if we think that art just exists to communicate propositions, to make them more memorable or something like that, we miss the entire point of art. Art is bad mm-hmm. at doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's doing something else entirely. It's shaping how we feel about these truths more than just communicating the truths themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. I think that's right. And we, especially in a society where we are so feeling dominated, where, you know, like years ago when I was selling real estate uh, to support our ministry, that, you know, I, I never asked people if they, uh, what they thought of a house. Like, I sure. said, do you, how do you feel about it? Or do, do you like it? And so, you know, that's what they, that's, that's what is important. It doesn't matter what they think. It's well, how and, they feel. And, but, but, but let's, let's say this, right? Um, because we live in a world that is dominated by feeling, um, often in a, most often in a grotesquely unbiblical way, we right. have, I think, tended to react by downplaying the importance of feeling. Yeah. And, and we've done it, I think, to our own expense, right? So I'll, I'll give you an example right. here, Don. Um, the Bible tells us, Philippians, that there is coming a day when every knee will bow. And every mm-hmm. tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Yeah. 
So, yeah. Don, that means that everyone gets saved. That teaches universalism, right? No, well, emphatically not. <laughs> not. We know it doesn't, right? Yeah. So if every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Christ is Lord, how do you distinguish those who enter into eternal life from those who are damned forever? And the answer is that some bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord and delight in that. Right. And others make that confession through gritted teeth. They hate to confess that Christ is yeah. Lord in a very important sense. And I don't want to minimize the doctrinal core of the gospel at, at all. In right. an important sense, the distinction between the saved and the damned is their feelings. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. People often, uh, well, that's why they will contend with you because they do not want, and that's that emotion. They do not want to know God. They yeah. don't want to hear what you have to say. They, they hate God. Yeah. That's and, right. and, and so conversion is a change of mind. It is a change of will, but, but, Almost at the core of it, right? This this is just kind of one of these dumb moments. The first and greatest commandment is that we love God. And yeah. so at a at a really fundamental sense, conversion is a change of affections toward God. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a big point. And that's, you know, some of our other writers have made that so so repeatedly. And I guess we're hammering on the same theme, but it but it is something I think well overlooked in our thinking. Uh, sometimes we, we, we do approach church, in, uh, Christian life in a very rote, um, you know, you know, like, oh, well, where I go to church again kind of thing. And there's no, we need to have a love for God and God's people and God's word and, and, uh, all of that. That's yeah. Again, it, it, it is, it's understandable. And I'll just say this, um, to, to my brothers in Christ who have the same concerns and, and same conservatism that I do is we look at the culture around us that is just, you know, the, the message of follow your heart, which is just hot garbage, right? Mm -hmm. And then we look at our, our uh, fellow professing believers and the, the excesses of charismaticism and the uh, much of evangelicalism that is the same sort of over-emotive, manipulative um, right. uh, emotionalism. And uh, it is it is understandable that our response sometimes is, well, what we need to focus on is mind and will and emotion is is just not in play at all. And mm -hmm. and what I would, would just urge you and admonish you is just and I mean this kindly read your Bible, because that's not a possible category. There are right. all sorts of commands given to us by our Lord about how we must feel about certain things. Mm -hmm. Right. I, yeah. I think I'm stealing this illustration from from another pastor. Um, but, you know, we have Christmas coming up and, and, and my my boys open up a gift and it's from grandma and grandpa and they got a package of socks. Right. Yes. And 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 I say to I say to my boys, go go to your grandparents and give them a hug and 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 tell them thank you. Right. right. And they can do that. The question is, are they grateful? <laughs> Yes. And, and, and the answer is probably not. Right. Yeah. And, 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 but we are, we commanded to be grateful. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's you're... not just a volitional thing. That's an affectional thing. And that's, it ties us all back around here. The question that, that kicked us off. Why is this a matter of sanctification? Sanctification is unavoidably a matter of how you love things. Yeah. You're, uh, you're sort of uh, leaving preaching and going to meddling there, brother. Because that's... on Christmas, 
You know, they give me they give me clothes, and it's like I don't want clothes. I want toys. Nice. <laughs> so 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 I feel a pang of conviction there. So let's move from that topic, <laughs> and let's talk about uh, music. Because you did bring sure. in the, about the hymns, and you talked to a comparison. Use a comparison, which I think is a very apt, although I like both versions. And that's, sure. alas, and did my Savior bleed, and at the cross. So, obviously, one, uh, at the cross, we actually sang it, I don't know when, just recently in our church. And sure. And it was after I read your article. And <laughs> I said, <laughs> and I said, I think somebody asked for it as a favorite. That's what it was. Sure. And, uh, you know, there's a, I like that version. But the other one is, is, is more majestic, and it does call for a different response, doesn't it? Yeah, and so so obviously the reason I want want us to compare these two, and they're both in the hymnal that that our church uses. Um, the reason I want us to compare these two is they have the same text, right? Yeah. At the cross appends the chorus, which right. I think might have its own issues with now I'm happy all the day, which I, I'm not sure is actually uh, accurate. Biblically, right. um, not just yeah. experientially, um, yeah. but but the tunes are different, right? right. And mm -hmm. and um, I am, you know, my goal in in this world is not to get people to hate at the cross, right. but but the point that I want to make in that is is if you play Alas and Did the tune, and the yeah. tune for at the cross. And then you consider the words that you're saying, right? Alas, mm -hmm. right? Which is a word we don't use much, but it's a, it's a, it's a word of lamentation, right? Yeah. Alas, yeah. did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die? And I'm very loosely paraphrasing. And, and was it me that caused this? Yeah. Yeah. That's an enormously weighty idea, right? Yes, a meditation. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and so the point of that section of the article is one of the ways that we grow in our appreciation for how we ought to respond to things is, is just by setting two things next to each other so that we might see the contrasts. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that the more that we expose ourselves to different ways, right? You, you, you see this, uh, very often when maybe people from your church go on a mission trip and they see Christians in, in other cultures. Um, uh, I am not going to remember this off the top of my head. Um, I, you know what? I think, I think this is what it was when, um, the, the se my senior year after, after I graduated from Bob Jones, I traveled on the uh, musical ministry team in Europe. Okay. And I'm nearly certain when we were in uh, Russia or Belarus, somewhere in, in that region of the world, uh, virtually all the singing was done in minor keys. And one mm. of the most um, uh, memorable ones, and I'm, I'm nearly certain I'm remembering the, the tune here. I don't know if they were singing the words that we sing, but because they were singing in Russian, but they were singing the song, There is Sunshine in My Soul Today in a minor. Mm. <laughs> right? And, right. and, 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 and you listen to that and, and you ask, you know, what's going on here? Well, regardless of what conclusion you come to, considering that question is valuable, right? Why do these believers worship the way they do? And that forces you, compels you to ask the question, why, why do we do it the way we do it? Right. Because we tend to think, right, this is, you know, all the illustrations, you know, you have a, 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 a couple that are newly married 
and a lot of the source of early marital strife is uh, two people realizing that the way things have always been done in their house are not the way things are done in every house, right? right. And it's <laughs> it's enormously important uh, for us. Um, I was just saying to our church on uh, in our Sunday afternoon. Um, biblically speaking, is tradition a good thing or a bad thing? And the answer is yes, right? There are passages yes. in which Paul commends churches for holding on to the traditions that have been passed on. One of the things that makes tradition bad is when it's utterly unexamined. Mm -hmm. And there are things that we do, songs that we sing, practices that we uphold that are so familiar to us that we don't, we don't see what they're saying anymore, right? Mm -hmm. If, if you never thought about um, uh, at the cross, you don't hear what the tune is saying anymore. You've stopped yeah. hearing what the tune is saying because for you, it, it, it's immediately associated with that text and, and you don't disassociate the tune from the text. And so it's, it's, it's a, a song mm -hmm. about Christ's death. But if, if you just disassociate that tune from it and play the tune by itself, I, I would make the case. It's, I think it's too rollicking for the, the, the what is being contemplated there. Right. It's not necessarily a sinful tune. That's not the point at all. Um, but it seems to me, alas, and did as a tune is better capturing the weight of that text. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, even if we disagree, and this is where I think this is valuable, seeing that those tunes are not saying the same thing. Right. This is this is the uh, the most important thing we can have in these music discussions is so often. We're dealing with people who say music doesn't matter at all. And, and, and that is, and I mean this kindly, it's just the most indefensible position, right? Whether yeah. you agree that Alas and Did is, is a better tune for that text than At the Cross, at the very least, we have to see that those tunes are not saying the same thing. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah, the, that's, that's the case that I make in the article is, is the, the value of, of, putting two things next to each other and comparing them, putting two hymn texts next to each other and saying, which which of these is a better hymn text and why? This is how mm -hmm. we grow in our appreciation for beauty. We we rarely see what something's doing unless we can set it in com uh, comparison to something else. Right. I think in some of these discussions, when it comes to the music aspect, people will lay out uh, sort of the, I'm not quite sure how, like they'll lay out, say contemporary music with some of the older hymns uh, and, and make a comparison that way. And I think, I mean, obviously that's valuable. Like wh which one is more weighty to communicate the truths of the gospel? Obviously uh, the, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, music of today is more suited to a much more casual approach. And so people can see the difference and, and even when I, for example, people who have had a different church experience will come into our church and they know right away, we don't do things the way they did in their sure. old church, you know, and, and not that we're somehow, you know, that we're superior Christians, but there's a different emphasis already. Absolutely. Well, and this is, again, I, I think it is, it's infuriating, but it's also funny in some of these discussions, you will hear people say music is indifferent music doesn't matter right, right. it's it's yeah. it's um, music is neutral also don the music you use is bad because it gives people the wrong impression of god right 
Well, you can't say both those things. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. I'm, I am far happier with a, you know, an evangelical or an advocate of contemporary music telling me my music is bad than telling me that music doesn't matter. Because if they tell right. me music is bad, they've already conceded the point that music communicates. Now the question is, whose music is communicating that which accords best with how scripture speaks about these subjects? Yeah. And I think in studying that and thinking through that question, that's how the growth happens. Yes. You know, the, that's how the sanctification happens. Yeah. And that's, and, that, so, and that's the point I'm making is, is set these things in comparison to one another because you, you generally, again, especially the more familiar you, you, you are with something, you just stop seeing what it's saying. Right. Um, and, and, and it becomes alive again to you when you, when you do it in comparison. Yeah. Now you also talked about, uh, I guess employing expertise. Yeah. And the, now, it's not that we're think that we are, you know, snobbish and there's only the elite priests that we can go to to get the answers. But the um, uh, there is a uh, this is an area of truth or uh, you know appropriateness that it's a little it is more theoretical as we've been having these conversations. We're talking about you know the word transcendence and things like this, and uh, we are. It's sort of not something that rolls off your tongue every every day. Whereas truth, you know, the mind, you know, the doctrinal part, we can get that. That's, you know, Jesus is either born of a virgin or not. And even in terms of our will and our decisions, we can call, we can get, you know, uh, calling for a response to the gospel and things like that. But this matter of affections is a little harder to grasp. So I do think we need some help in learning how to appreciate. Well, I, I, I'd say a couple things here. So uh, I, I agree with the point you just made, but let me let me push back a little bit on it. Um, okay. So we we hold to the objectivity of of truth and of morality, right? And mm -hmm. we say, you know, there's there are uh, truths of the matter on these things, and right. yet it remains the case that um, although we believe in the objectivity of truth, sometimes we really, really, really really struggle to find out what the truth of a matter is. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and what you can use theology as an example. Um, here's our good conservative Presbyterian brother again, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he trusts Jesus and he is disciplined in his reading of the word. And from our mm -hmm. perspective, he is just wrong. <laughs> right. Um, right. He's, he's just so like, in so many ways, how, like how do you not see the infant baptism and your eschatology and, and whatever. And, and right. yet, you know, we, we look at, you know, I, I look at well, one of the professors I had at Bob Jones, Dr. Dr. Barrett, right? Yeah. Godly man, right? I, yeah. I, I wouldn't pretend to have the personal piety and holiness that I saw reflected in his life, right? Yeah. And I still think he's wrong about things, right? Yes. When it comes to questions of morality, there are difficult questions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and what, what people tend to do is because they see people of goodwill who come to questions and find them irresolvable, they tend to throw up their hands and say, well, there just is no answer on these things, right? And that becomes uh, put on steroids when it comes to these questions of affections and questions of, of beauty. Um, that, that because these things are slippery and hard to articulate, we just we just give up. And and what I want to say is 
Um, in the same way, right, when, when we're talking to our, our conservative Presbyterian friends, one of the things that we should exemplify is, is a, a bulldogged, um, embrace of those things that we think are biblical while being gracious because we know that sometimes these are hard, um, differences, right? Hard questions. And that, that's hard, right? Because we tend toward, People just dispositionally tend toward one extreme or the other, right? There are those who are just like, well, hey, whatever, right? And that's not most of us, but there are people with that disposition. And then there are people like, everything's black and white, right? If you're, if you get this, if you disagree with me, you're probably not a Christian, right? And to be able to say, hey, listen, I am not giving an inch on what I think scripture teaches, and I recognize that there are men of goodwill who disagree with me, right? So, so bring that to the, the question of, of the affections. I want to, if we believe what we started our discussion with, that God values things in certain ways. If there are, if beauty is not merely in the eye of the beholder, that means it is possible for some people to appreciate beauty more than others. In the same way that if truth is objective, um, I, uh, I there's two things we want to say about the, the expertise thing. Uh, one is the appeal to experts is not a um, shot at the sufficiency of Scripture. Right. Right? Um, Don, when you do sermon preparation, you open commentaries, right? And And you open commentaries because you cannot possibly be an expert on everything. That's amazing right. to know, think of. It, but yeah. yeah, you know, it's, it's shocking. <laughs> but, but there, you know, here is a guy who's, who's devoted a decade, a decade and a half, two decades to just studying Leviticus, right? right. And the reality is just in Providence. He knows more about Leviticus than you do. He knows more about Leviticus than I do. And it's not that Leviticus is insufficient. It's that I'm insufficient, right? I can't know everything. And so, um, I always appeal to here Ephesians 4, the, 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 the resurrected and ascended Christ gives gifts to his church, right? Right. He, and, and, um, people who say we should just read our Bibles, the Bible is the only source of authority that we should ever consider. You are spitting on the gifts of your risen and ascended Lord. Mm, yeah. Because Jesus gave you teachers. Jesus gave you pastors. And, and, right. and you are to properly steward the gifts that have been given to you by your risen and ascended Lord. Yeah, that's um, right. And so the use, uh, the appeal to the learning from people, right? So I, I use as the example in, in, in the essay there. I am mechanically incompetent, right? Yeah, so if, if I open the hood of a car and, and someone says, do you see the air filter? Even if literally the air filter is sitting right in front of me, if it's entering my visual app, I don't see it because I don't know what I'm looking for. Right. right? There's, there's these two senses of see. Um, I see it, but I don't see it. Yeah. And, 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 and if beauty is objective, it is possible that there are things that I perceive that I don't, I don't understand. I don't see it. That other mm-hmm. people can see things that I don't see. And it right. would behoove me to be humble enough 
right? And and this is where again, let's just make it. If beauty is not in the eye of the beholder, if if it is possible that I actually do have bad taste, right? Yeah, and that's tr- that's we have to acknowledge yeah. that that's possible. I'm fallen. I am corrupted mm-hmm. by sin. There are things I love that I shouldn't love. Yeah. Right. And and to be able to um, appeal to someone or or to learn from someone, and sometimes even to defer to someone, where I say I don't get it. Right. This is um, I, I I think and you know not to open an entire another can of worms, but we're you know as as people of God, we are commanded to submit to our spiritual authorities. And submission really only comes into play when I either don't see it or don't agree. Right. Right. That there are times where what I ought to do, right, what someone in my church ought to do is there. And I'm not saying across the board, I am not infallible, but there is a biblical wisdom in saying, well, pastor, I don't know that I see it yet, but God Mm -hmm. has placed me in the church, so I'm going to trust you. And man, we mm-hmm. just chafe against that. That's very American. Um, we <laughs> yes. chafe against that. Yes. But it's biblical, right? Yeah. And in the yeah, same way, there are times when, when I should say at a certain point in my, my, my spiritual growth, my spiritual journey, uh, I don't, I don't see what this person's saying, but right now, what I'm going to do is trust them. Yeah. Right. It is not a knock on the sufficiency of scripture. It is actually, and this is kind of the second point is it is just tied to that idea that there is objectivity and beauty. And if there's objectivity and beauty, it follows that there are some people that see it better than others, that we are not, it's, it's not merely a matter of my, um, a declaration of my own taste. Yeah. And I do think that's where. Yeah, we, that's, that is the critical thing is, you know, cultivating our, our taste. And I've often, even in terms of the fruit of the spirit, and we lay that aside, the works of the flesh say, all right, so there are, you can cultivate, uh, you can cultivate the fruit of the spirit. You do that by appreciating the good and the beautiful. Whereas Philippians says, think on these things. You know, the lovely, the good, the excellent and so forth. Yeah. So, so you're, you're, you're trying to find what is excellent. And maybe if we look back and say, okay, this music from age has gone by that still is with us and people still listen to today. There's a reason that they do that. So maybe I need to educate myself as to why that's beautiful. Yeah. And, and gain some understanding. Well, and, and, and I think we, we, most of us, um, have, have, um, uh, have had opportunities in life to to see the way our taste has changed on things, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know that 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 uh, experience where you you pull up an, a movie that you watched ages ago that mm-hmm. seemed perfectly innocuous to you then, and you you start watching it, and you're like, well, this is garbage. <laughs> yeah. yes. Like like how yeah. how did I not notice this then? Right. 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 Um, I've yeah. used the I've used the example in our church before. Um, uh, there is a significant difference, um, between, you know, you're hanging out with the fellas and someone cracks an off color joke and you Mm -hmm. know, morally you shouldn't laugh. And so you try not to, right? Yeah. There's a difference between that. And when that joke is cracked, you, you, you've actually stopped finding it funny. Yeah. 
yeah, right? That's, right. that's a, that's yeah. a change in your values, right? Yeah. Where, where you've now grown in sanctification that, that, that something that you used, you used to find attractive and you had to just by sheer act of volition and will not allow yourself to laugh at. Now you no right. longer find it attractive. Right. Right. And, and right. so we, we understand that that kind of thing is a, is an, is an element of sanctification. And, right. and so we should look to those who've grown in that and, and listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's vital. Well, that's, that's great. We've sort of covered every aspect of your article. Maybe we could keep talking for quite a bit longer on it, but it's, uh, I think our listeners are going to start tuning out pretty soon. So we'll, we'll probably have to bring this to a close. Uh, uh, the key thing, and I guess I'll just ask for your last comment on this. The key thing about your article then is about growth, that this is what we want Christians to do. We want them to grow, uh, in their, not just their understanding of the Bible and God's truth, but in their appreciation for the Bible and their love for God. So maybe you can comment on that. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that really is the key is, is we, we recognize that as Christians, we have obligations to believe the right things and to do the right things. Mm-hmm. And, but I think if we um, only see those two categories, we've missed something important. And we, we actually might have missed something that, that's most foundationally important, that mm-hmm. that your growth in sanctification is it, it depends on you growing in knowledge. Right. You mm-hmm. need to know more of the word. Right. It does depend on a change of will um, mm-hmm. that you choose to do what's right and choose to do what's wrong. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, if I, if I were to ask, who are you? In a certain regard, the most revealing answer to that is what do you love? Yeah, that's who you are. And if sanctification involves the change of who you are so that you are conformed more and more to the image of Christ, mm-hmm. you, you cannot neglect this element of your sanctification. You have right. to in target, intentionally target growing and loving the right things. And, and that's, that's going to be in sort of the ordinary things that we think of with sanctification, growing in love for the church, growing in love for the word, growing in love for my brothers and sisters in Christ, um, mm-hmm. growing in, um, distaste for immorality, right? Mm-hmm. But, but we also understand from scripture that we have a God who delights in certain sorts of aesthetic loveliness. He's created mm-hmm. it and, and it is right for me to love these things. It's right for me to look at the poetry of scripture and not just try to squeeze it until I distill out propositional truths, right. but to, to be moved in my soul and love it, right? right. To, to yeah. love these things. And, and I think again, because we've tried to keep the um, uh, misshapen feelings of our culture at arm's length, we've tried to keep feelings at arm's length. And we've done so to our own harm. Right. Well, that's great, Mike. Thanks very much for this discussion. And uh, this is Don Johnson signing off for the Proclaim and Defend podcast. This has been the Proclaim and Defend podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and give us a good review. If you want to learn more about the FBFI, check out our website at fbfi.org or our blog, Proclaim and Defend, at proclaimanddefend.org. Thanks for listening. 
We'll see you next time on the Proclaim and Defend podcast. Mm-hmm.